are featured BBBYZ Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are Solar Cookers International, Wilderness Society, Youth Villages. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Today, we are going to talk about the theme of a corporate giving situation. Um, We've known for years that companies contribute in many ways to society. But there are a class of corporations that have giving back as part of their purpose for being. And what's unusual about this is that most corporations are set up to make profit, to turn over results and uh, resources and money to their shareholders. Of course, employees benefit and customers benefit as well from the products and services that those corporations offer, and society as a whole benefits as a result. But we're going to talk today about companies that go beyond that. These are companies that not only aim to make a profit, but part of their mission really is to deliver results, positive results for communities. And today we're going to talk about a particular company, and we have the chief purpose officer of that corporation with us, and she is Jamie Horst. And Jamie is the chief purpose officer of traditional medicinals. Now, I'm certain that if you've gone to your supermarket, you've seen some of the products that traditional medicinals offers, and we'll get into some of those in a bit. But what we're really going to talk today about is how this company came about why it chose to establish itself in the way that it does, and how it believes that its performance is tied to how well our society does as a whole. Jamie, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you, Art. It's great to be here. Well, Jamie, first of all, tell us what a chief purpose officer is. Yeah. You know, there are several of us popping up around the country, but it's not a familiar title yet. The way that we have structured it at Traditional Medicinals is I have responsibility for all of our environmental and social programs, both operationally here in California, where we're based, and also throughout our supply chain, where we source from about 40 different countries. 
And additionally, as of 2021, I took on human resources. And that was really understanding that we are in an age more than ever where people want to get a sense of meaning through their work. They want to have an aspect of their personal purpose actuated through the way that they define their careers. And so we saw a real opportunity to bring together our purpose, our environmental impact, our social impact, and our people under one umbrella. Now, was traditional medicinals originally established as a purpose-driven business, or is this something that evolved? Well, it certainly has evolved, and I don't know that we would have used that language in the early days, but looking back, I can see very clearly that it has always been a purpose-driven business. We were actually founded by a husband and wife couple at the time, and she was a fourth-generation herbalist. So her passion was really in healing, in connecting people to natural landscapes, and in educating them about plants and how plants can be part of their wellness journey. And our other co-founder was a community organizer. So he actually spent his days setting up a number of emergency shelters, after school care programs, food kitchens, and so on throughout Northern California. And as time went on, they visited their first herb supply company in Guatemala, where we saw amazing growing conditions for the plants. But we also recognized that many of the farmers who were working there were living in incredibly marginalized conditions. And so he came back really disturbed saying, how do I spend my days working to eradicate poverty and then have this side business with my partner that actually might contribute more harm in the world, more oppression. And so he took that to his mentor who told him, have I taught you nothing? Go and fix it. And so since that time in 1974, we've really used our business as an opportunity to support farmers and collectors around the world, as I said, in about 40 countries, in supporting their livelihoods, their human rights, their labor rights, and ultimately the sustainability of their communities. It's been more recent for us to actually focus on our home county. But ultimately, we realize that all of us, are our fates are connected. And so we really have similar programs everywhere that we have a footprint And it's really important to us as a B Corp, as a stakeholder-based business, a relational business, that we're we're deeply in relationship with all of those communities. So tell us what a B Corp is. I'd love for you to tell our audience what a B Corp is and how that differs from a traditional C Corporation. B Corp is actually a certification that's managed by an independent nonprofit called B Lab. And so any company, regardless of your legal status, can investigate signing up to become a B Corp. And that requires you reporting out on your impact across five different areas from governance, environmental, social, and so on. Every year you self-assess and then it's independently audited every third year. And so that's really ensuring that you're driving social impact. We are also a benefit corporation in the state of California. I think that's a status that's recognized in about 30 states that actually says to our investors, we have a dual mandate to deliver profit and you know a normal fiduciary responsibility in addition to delivering our defined social and environmental impact. 
And that's really important that you have that clarity and that you're able to communicate it effectively at the point that you're seeking investors. So they understand that profit maximizing is not actually our goal. Our goal is equitable relationship across all of those who participate with our system. But the bottom line here is I wanted to just let people know that the reason you have to do this is a shareholder could basically say, wait a minute, don't put all of my money into socially conscious things. I want you to put it in things that makes the most money. And that's what you're signed on to do as a corporation to maximize my return. But as a benefit corporation, you have the latitude to do things that are socially conscious according to your purpose without having those suits prevail. Well, that's right. It's, it is an important distinction. Jamie, let's talk about some of the products that we'll find on the shelves of our supermarkets that traditional medicinals offers. Sure. So we're currently, I believe, the third largest tea brand in the United States. So you can find us in the tea aisle of almost any supermarket, as you said. And we find that some of our sub-brands are more noted than our actual name of our company, Traditional Medicinals. So some of those sub-brands are Nighty Night, Throat Coat, Mother's Milk, Smooth Move. And many of these formulations have been consistent over the last nearly 50 years of operation. Next year will be our 50th. And increasingly, we actually are trying to find more accessible product formats so that we can reach people where they are. And so we have lozenges and capsules in market right now and are looking at additional product forms. And just as an aside, something that I think is really interesting, 80% of the world's population still relies on plant medicine as a primary form of healthcare. And so what we love about plants is that they're accessible to all of us. And so it's a great form of self-care and community care in how you can teach, take care of your families, your loved ones, and it's available at shelf. So what's different about traditional medicinals products compared to other manufacturers of maybe similar products? There's a long documented history of use of herbs and that's recorded in many countries. It's known as the pharmacopoeia. And so we use pharmacopoeial grade herbs, which means they are medicinal grade herbs. They're not food grade herbs. And so it does provide a high quality. They're also organic and increasingly fair certified. And so we test all of these plants for quality markers. We have a state-of-the-art lab. And so we are able to really make some claims about their their health efficacy based on well-documented science. And I think our consumers have been relying on us for a long time to deliver those positive impacts. So Jamie, how did you end up working for traditional medicinals? What is it about your background that led you here? For the decade prior to joining traditional medicinals, I had been working in corporate responsibility. And one of the things I really appreciate about corporate responsibility is all of the frameworks that we have at the ready. And that gives us an opportunity to kind of systematically look at the impacts that we're having in the world, positive and negative. And I was working for large publicly traded companies and feeling some degree of frustration at seeing negative impacts, seeing data, and having an inability at times to really change the outcomes in the direction that I wanted. And it was that time that traditional medicinals reached out to me, and I just really fell in love with the opportunity 
I, I love that they were a B Corp. I had been following the movement for years and it felt like an opportunity to really align my corporate expertise with my values. And personally, I also found supporting farmers and collectors in very rural areas near poverty to be personally meaningful. I've come from generations of farmers. I was raised on a farm in central Pennsylvania. I was actually raised in the Mennonite community. And so community was really how we saw every day. And just one anecdote, my house burnt down when I was 15. And we actually did kind of a traditional Amish barn raising to frame it up and, and be able to move back in in pretty short order. So community wasn't something that you did one off or infrequently. It was really the way that we saw the world. And I still very much feel that way. I'm honored to be able to work for a company where I can really bring together my history and my passion and my skills and expertise in one job. Well, as you're able to bring those things together, it looks like your company is also aligning mission and values. What are some of the values that drives traditional medicinals? Yeah, well, you know, we actually think about purpose, mission, vision, and values. And I know that's a lot, but we think about our purpose as why we exist. It's our reason for being. There are many beverages in the world, many teas. Why does TM need to exist? And then we think about our values often as how we get it done. It's it's very internal in some ways. It's about the way that we show up with one another and everyone that we're in relationship with. And so we start with things like finding good intentions. And I think that's so relevant for the world that we're in right now is really treating people with shared respect, leading with trust, and then building trust and trying to maintain a spirit of positivity in all that we do. We also really value things like creating together. So we think about our purpose as collective action. It's really, it has collaboration and co-creation embedded in it from the very beginning. And then just some other values that we have to make a meaningful difference. And that, as you, as we've talked about, is about the quality and efficacy of our products, but it's also about maintaining high standards in everything that we do. And one of our, our final value that I'll mention here is to keep raising the bar. And I love that we're a B Corp. I love that we are signed on to many systems, Fair Wild, Fair for Life, uh, California Green Business and others, because that requires us to keep raising the bar. Every time a new version of the standards are released every several years, it means we have to grow with it. And I think that we're in a place where it's not enough to have and make a meaningful difference, to have a positive impact, but you have to keep elevating because the world is facing a number of urgent challenges right now. It certainly is. You mentioned collaborations and partnerships. Are there any collaborations or partnerships that you're involved in now that you want to talk about? And do they tie in really to any of your philanthropic work? Yeah. Could I give you one that's environmental and one that's social? Sure, sure. On an environmental side, we're working with the Sustainable Herbs Program, which is a program under the American Botanical Council. And part of what we want is as we reduce our environmental footprint, we understand that we have to really begin with data. We have to understand what is the environmental impact at source in these farming regions so that we can develop partnerships that would actually reduce that. But because those farms have multiple 
customers, we're all approaching them with slightly different questions at slightly different times. And that really distracts the, the farmers from just doing what they do best, growing great products. And instead, it puts them into this place where they're constantly managing data. And so we're taking this pre-competitive approach across the industry to say, let's figure out what are the, the key metrics that really drive results. Let's agree on those. Let's ask our vendors in a consistent way so that we can actually reduce their impact. So that's something that I'm really proud of. And I would say all of the work that the Sustainable Herbs Program is doing is really impressive. Yeah, from a philanthropic standpoint, we're working on a project right now in the Philippines where we source abaca, which is what we use as our teabag filter paper. It's a plant that's in the banana family. And so we get almost all of our abaca from the Philippines and specifically from one or two islands. So they're very important communities to us that we've been working with for a very long time. We've done water quality projects there in the past, and what they've told us more recently is that they have real concerns around health. And so we've been working with a team of doctors from Stanford. We actually took a team of five doctors and about five medical support staff to the Philippines in May. We'll go back again in February. It's a multi-year commitment. And so we worked between these Stanford-based doctors and the doctors in the Philippines So we built one-on-one partnerships there where there's kind of a lifeline, if you will. There's lots of opportunity to ask questions and and get a second opinion. And we also delivered 35 kits that are basically medical clinics in a box that really enable nurses and midwives across the island to take healthcare out to these very rural areas. What we find is in many of these communities, people are harvesting abaca, and that's enough income to support their families for that day. And so if they have to travel to a city that's far away, A, there's expense involved with that, and B, it takes them away from earning a livelihood. So if we can actually bring medicine to them, it it helps everyone. So that's a partnership that, again, just launched in May and will continue over the next several years. So far, we've identified about 47,000 community members who are benefiting from that. And we're really excited to see how it develops. What a great example of how your work is impacting positively a community. And you mentioned some metrics. I wanted to ask also how you generally measure the results of your philanthropic and purpose-driven efforts. What would you say to that? Well, it's a challenge is one of the things I'll say. And so we, we absolutely believe in holding ourselves accountable, and that does require measurement. So one of the things we're doing, for instance, we have been committed to being a fair brand for a long time. But what we realized is as we were growing as a company and buying more herbs without actively cultivating and bringing more herb growers into that fair system, our percentage of fair volume was declining over time. So we recommitted about two years ago, and just in the last year, we've doubled the volume of FAIR purchases that we've made, and we're on our way to 80% FAIR certified before 2030. And that's really important to me because our approach to philanthropy in community is not one size fits all. It's very relational. And so we go to each community partner in these countries around the world And we ask them what it is that would make their communities 
more viable for the long term? Is it environmental impact that they're struggling with? Is it employment opportunities? Is it education? Is it healthcare? What is it that's most relevant to them? And then we work with them to develop projects and connect them with local resources and provide that funding. What's difficult about that is it's hard to aggregate those data points across countries because each program is really bespoke. It's designed for that specific community. We can look at things like lives impacted. And then the question is, is, is there a depth versus breadth? You know, is, is it somebody attended a one-hour training or a one-year-long training? We collect all of those metrics. We agree on what we will measure up front with our community partners And then we provide that in our annual impact report to our board of directors, to our shareholders, and so on. So data does matter, but aggregation has proven to be difficult. The other thing I'll say is, of course, qualitative data and telling stories and representing those stories well and authentically really matters to us. So that's a little bit that I would say about how we're measuring impact. Well, and truthfully, you may never know the impact of you know, I always ask this question about how you measure, because I think it's really more for the company's internal purposes to try to appreciate whether they should make changes to what they're doing and if you need to make changes to what degree. But re- the reality is the impact that you're having on a person's life may never be known. <laughs> it may take decades. I mean, if you are able to give a farmer a daily way to live and survive, and that happens over a period of years, you've impacted not only that farmer, but their family and maybe the family that comes after and who knows what happens with those children as a result of what you've been able to do down the road. So impact is something that comes later. If we're lucky, we get to measure it, but in most cases, we'll never know. And I think that's okay. So we're left with measuring things like, well, how many people did we come in contact with? How many people received our program? How many vendors are we working with? And things like that. And that's fine. But that's not impact. That's not the true impact of your work, which may never be known. It's great to think about impact, though, because it may guide some of what you do right now. Right. If you're thinking about what we want to do is have generational, we want to see generational change in the people that we touch. It's going to affect what you do today. Right. It's going to make your services and what you're able to how you're able to connect with them very different today. And you mentioned that you're listening more to them to try to find out what their needs are. It's affecting what you do today. So my only point about asking the question is I'm always wanting to ask it because it may have an impact on what you do today and how you're doing it. So at any rate, that's a a great answer. And there can be a lot of ambiguity around that. And that's okay. I just want our listeners to appreciate that because we're so want to say, what's the impact of this? Well, we may not know folks and that's okay, but we should keep doing the work and making sure that we're doing it in a way that we can feel is matching what the people who need us most need and what we hope to achieve in the long run. I love that. Thank you, Jamie. Let me ask you this. If you were to give advice to a company that's about to get started and they're thinking about 
whether they set up as a C corporation, a regular corporation that does some good, or as a benefit corporation, what would you, how would you advise them? How would you advise them from the standpoint of what your company has been able to achieve? What argument would you make to them that they should do this or maybe they should not, depending on and what factors? Well, you know, I personally believe that we're in an all-hands-on-deck time. So I really appreciate my colleagues in other sectors who are trying to contribute positively to solutions. And I believe that the business world is not exempted from being part of the solution. So I think we can drive change through all of the resources that we manage. And so I would, of course, start with data. Start with looking at your impacts, both both positive and negative, today, and then do some scenario planning. What does that look like into the future? And that might give you a place to start thinking about how to develop purpose or how to evolve your purpose. We also think of purpose as dynamic. We are in a changing world, and so we need to be flexible in how we respond to that. So figure out what good looks like now. Simon Sinek, of course, has the great book, Start With Why. Why you? Why your company now? And then, you know, understand that in five or seven years, you might need to check back in and and see whether or not that's still as helpful to the world around you as you can be. I also would say it's a little bit to me of a top down and a bottoms up approach. So of course, leadership should know how they're navigating. And so absolutely, leaders need to be bought in and you need to be hiring and measuring for the impact that you want to have in the world. But don't be afraid to ask your employees to help you define it. What we found over and over again is that people join TM because it's a purpose-driven company. We recently, we were awarded the North Bay Business Journal's best places to work for, I don't know how many years in a row. And the first question that survey respondents were asked to complete was, what is it about traditional medicinals that you appreciate most? And 58% said, I love that we're a purpose-driven company and we're the real deal. We really do it. It's not just talk. And so they also, of course, the next question was, what can we do better? And they had lots of suggestions there too. So employees can really help you become your greatest advocates, the greatest help in determining whether or not you're on track and how you might need to evolve it. Jamie, you know, you mentioned the future. I happen to be on the board of an organization called the Institute for the Future. It's also based in Palo Alto, Bay Area, out there where you are. And whenever I hear someone mention the future, I think of the Institute because of what it tries to do to inspire all of us to keep the tools for at least imagining the future and what it can be in front of us. And I just wanted to just mention that and ask you, what do you see in terms of the future for what traditional medicinals can do? What do you see down the road for this company and its relevance, given the signals for change and the shifts that we're seeing in the environment writ large right now? What do you see ahead for your company? I could answer that in so many directions. 
One way is we've talked a little bit about whether or not purpose and profit are intention. And my belief is that they are not. Purpose and profit are actually synergistic if you take a look at the right time scale. So if you're looking at a quarter by quarter basis, it may be difficult to make those right decisions. But actually, if you're thinking long term, and our climate planning at this point is going out to 2050, then I think that you can actually find that it becomes mutually reinforcing your purpose and your profit. And so my hope is that traditional medicinals really punches above its weight here, and that we become a case for the larger business community about how you do this purpose work well, that you can grow, you can be profitable, and you can deliver net positive impact to the world. So that's what I would say to the business community. To the average person, I think I would talk about plants and botanical wellness and how important plants are for our well-being. And we could talk about that in a lot of different ways. Obviously, we believe in the medicinal effects of plants, but just from a nutrition standpoint, we know that walking in nature can be great for mental health. We know that we breathe oxygen. So we benefit from the plant kingdom in so many ways. And the question then is, how are we in relationship with the natural world? How are we also taking care of the natural world as it takes care of us. And conservation becomes a big part of that discussion. We believe that we're part of the solution. 40% of our herbs are actually wild collected. They're harvested in the wild. And those are certified under fair wild management plans where those areas are conserved and it drives economic livelihoods to the people who live in those very rural regions. So I would say learn more about plants and how they're good for you, for your family, for your community, and how they also are healthy for the world, how we have a responsibility to care for them. Well, Jamie, look, this is, this is terrific. I am so enjoying getting the chance to talk to someone who works in a company that is devoted to making money, no, make no mistakes about that, but also equally to giving us something, giving something back to the world that is creating this opportunity for your company to make profits. And it seems to me that you all really understand the, I guess, cyclical or holistic nature of our world and how we can't benefit if others aren't also taken care of. A company can't make profits if it doesn't have a market, if the market isn't taken care of, right? So we all have to find a way to succeed if any one of us are going to succeed. At least that seems to be the philosophy behind your company. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but what a beautiful place to be able to come to work every day. And I suspect you see that in the attitudes of your colleagues who get to work in a place like that. We definitely do. I describe our, our culture as intelligent and passionate. We just actually went through a refresh of our values. And as we were holding focus groups with employees, and they were really trying to parse out what are the behaviors, what matters most to us, one person just kind of threw her arms in the air and said, you know, we care about a lot of things. And I actually felt like that would have made a good value. I think we do care about a lot of things. And we have a lot of debate. We manage a lot of things by committee. When I say collaboration, 
we really try to bring in many voices. And sometimes doing consensus work, if you've done community-based work, you know that it can be slow and arduous and painful and it's difficult at times, but we believe that the outcomes are much more inclusive and sustainable when we represent diverse perspectives. So I do think that it's a culture that everyone shows up for. And like I said, that sometimes things move a little bit more slowly than we would prefer. But of course, we engage in traditional medicine. And so it really requires that we attend to those principles also. Terrific. Well, Jamie, we're going to leave it there. But I want to just thank you for joining me on the Heart of Giving podcast today. And for all of you who are listening for the first time, just know that we do this every week. And there's a a long list of previous guests that have given us so much that you might want to check them out. And you can find us by subscribing on all major podcast platforms. Jamie, thank you again for joining us. And I wish you continued success with the work you're doing at Traditional Medicinals as the Chief Purpose Officer. Thank you so much, Art. This has been really fun. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.